No Matter What by Alan Sparks. In pitch darkness, amid a raging torrent of icy storm water, a terrified young boy cried for help in a flooded tunnel. Alan Sparks saw a lot during his 20 years as a police officer in Australia. But it is the day in 1996 when he risked his life to save a young boy that stands out in his memory. It had been raining for days in the coastal city of Coffs Harbour. By May 3, 1996, all the local creeks were raging torrents. My partner at that time, Detective Senior Constable Gavin Dengate, and I were at the station completing some paperwork when, beep, beep, the clear tone heralding a serious announcement came on the police radio network. Any car in the vicinity of Marsha Street, a child is believed to have been swept down a stormwater drain. Bloody hell. Gavin and I looked at each other, dropped what we were doing and took off. Normally you would expect to see one or more police cars at the scene, but as we pulled up it was just Gavin and me. The only people there were two boys, Dwayne Teese and Gareth Owen, and some local men who had raised the alarm. They told us Dwayne and Gareth had been playing on their boogie boards in the flooded creek with an 11-year-old boy, Jai Waddell, when Jai had been swept away. We looked into the flooded creek and saw a whirlpool sucking water into a stormwater pipe. The thought of a child being sucked into that churned my guts. Gavin and I crossed the road from the flooded creek and lifted some concrete lids off the stormwater drain inspection pit. After securing our guns and some of our other gear in the car, we jumped into the drain pit and looked along the pipe. It was about the diameter of a hula hoop and half full of surging flood water. Far into the distance, we saw something trapped that looked as if it might be Jai. We had to try to get that kid out of there. One of the workmen turned up with rope and I tied it around my waist. I turned to Gav. If I get into trouble, I will tug on this rope three times, really hard. If you feel that, pull me back out, okay? I went in feet first, and it was like being sent down a water slide tunnel, so fast and pretty well out of control. I didn't get too far before my brain sent messages of panic, telling me to stop and get back to the pipe entrance. The rope was too thin and would most likely snap and I'd be washed away into the blackness, so I started tugging it. Gavin was in the drain behind me, back near the entrance, and he and the other men pulled me back those few metres. The power of the water roaring down the pipe was incredible. By this stage, the State Emergency Service, SES, had arrived and for a minute I was thinking that one of those guys would volunteer his services. But almost immediately, a much stronger and more suitable rope was being hurriedly secured around my waist. Looks like I'm it then, I thought. Do you want me to have a go, Al? Gavin offered. No, just do what you did before. Watch for my signals and get me out if I start tugging on the rope. For the second time, I went in. Again, Gavin came down behind me as I lay in the drain and was washed away like a leaf. I had no control over how fast I was going, and the deeper I went, the smaller, colder and darker it seemed to get. About 80 metres along the drain, I reached a point where the torch was able to illuminate the blockage that we thought was Jai. It's not the kid. It was just a bit of a branch and some debris. I tugged on the rope to come back, but as the SES crew started to pull, I had a dreadful realisation. I was damning myself in. 
I had caused the water to bank up and I was being engulfed by it. The more they pulled me against it, the bigger the blockage I was creating. I was sure I was going to drown. It must have been obvious to Gavin that things were serious. He crawled back out of the pipe and told the crowd of SES workers and police to pull for all they were worth. I could feel the rope hauling me against the torrent and hope like hell it was not going to slip off over my shoulders or come undone. There was just too much pressure against me and I was going nowhere, just spending more and more time submerged. The water was freezing and I started to shake uncontrollably from the cold, the fear or both. I tried to lie as flat as possible, dropping my head back to create the least resistance. This put my head further underwater, so I had to hold my breath as the rescue team tugged on the rope, which was now hard up into my armpits. When I ran out of breath, I would raise my face and grab a breath in the slipstream created by my head, then lie down and go back under the water, repeating this over and over. It seemed to take forever as I was dragged all the way back up the pipe, but eventually I could see light and Gavin again. I'm sure my partner had saved my life. If it had not been for him being prepared to get into the pipe behind me, no one would have realised what my situation was and I would have drowned. Coming out of that pipe created a mixture of relief and sadness. Relief at not dying, but a sadness that we had failed to save the boy. Now I'd been down there, I thought there was no way he could have survived. And I had a sense of what a horrible death it had been. I told the senior police who were there now to let the child's family prepare for the worst. Jai's mother was brought to the scene soon after, expecting that she had lost her son. Gavin and I were standing sodden and freezing talking to the SES and police when a couple of local shopkeepers came over to say they had just experienced the strangest thing. The ungodly screams of a child had come up through the concrete floor of their produce store, travelling from one end of the store to the other. Perhaps there was a chance. Next, a call came over the police radio. A child could be heard screaming under the road near the Pacific Highway, a good 600 metres away. Could he really have been swept so far and still be alive? For the moment, the rain had stopped. If it started again, the whole stormwater system was going to be inundated and there would be no hope of getting Jai out alive. Gavin and I jumped in our car and with the rest of the rescue crew we raced to the spot. Pandemonium had broken out and traffic was banked up. There was an ambulance there with its emergency lights flashing and dozens of onlookers pointing and talking excitedly. We got out of the car and above all the noise of the traffic and crowds, I could hear the ear-piercing shrieks of a child. I looked around for the source of the screams and saw a hole in the road where a manhole cover had been removed. Someone was lying down on the road yelling into the manhole as Jai's screams came straight back. Gavin and I raced over and looked down into the hole. Filthy stormwater bubbled up and through this water came those high-pitched, terrifying screams. Help me, help me, please, please, please help me! The screams went on relentlessly. These screams were the most dreadful thing I had ever heard. As a parent, when you hear your child scream out in pain, it cuts straight to your heart. When that scream is coming from a child who you know has been trapped in hell and you have seen and experienced what that hell is, it feels like a giant knife being twisted in your spine. It was a primal message to the back of my brain and completely overpowering. 
We had to find this child. We had to save him, no matter what. From that point onwards, my memory is tunnelled. A ladder was produced and I took my suit pants off and stood there in my boxer shorts. A very unglamorous photograph of my near-naked body was to appear later in the Sydney Morning Herald. Someone from the SES tied another rope around me while Gavin climbed down the ladder. Determination was etched on his face as he disappeared under the water. This time, it was my turn to follow him into the unknown. I remember being submerged, trying to feel my way around. My brain could not comprehend how we were under the water, yet we knew from Jai's screams that he was still alive, somewhere. Gavin and I both came to the surface in an area that was the junction of about six stormwater pipes. The only light was the beam of our torches cutting back and forth to each of the six pipes that surrounded us. Water from some of the pipes was pouring in on top of us and I felt like I had been holding my breath for the past hour. Desperation, terror and panic zigzagged around in my skull like ball bearings in a pinball machine. Think straight, Al. Work it out and hurry up. I started to get my head together and my next thought was that we needed some scuba gear so I went back to the manhole to yell out for someone to get a scuba tank and some regulators. While I was gone, Gavin started to search the pipes, trying to find which one Jai might have been up. I rejoined the search, and when I went up a particular pipe, I thought I could hear Jai's screams a little clearer. Gav! Gav! I shouted. I think he's up this one. Hurry up, Al, hurry up before you lose him. I kept hearing the same words shouting in my mind. Jai's screams were starting to take their toll. They seemed to be getting more desperate. Gavin headed back to the surface to see if there was another way into where we thought Jai might be. With Gavin gone, an ambulance paramedic, Michael Ma, came down into the junction with a large floodlight. At some stage, I had disconnected the rope that had been tied around me. I took the torch from Michael and told him I was going back up the pipe where I believed Jai was. Michael insisted I tie the rope back around myself. This pipe was narrower than the first one. I was forcing my way against the flow and it was difficult to get a grip to propel myself forward. The sides of the pipe were thick and slimy with a horrid goo that I had to dig into with my fingernails and toenails. Physically, it was draining. Psychologically, it was a nightmare. Jai's screams were getting a little louder the further I went, but I couldn't see him. His screams and my efforts to claw my way up the pipe sucked every bit of energy out of me. I was almost pleading to Jai, please mate, please stop screaming. Suddenly, in my torchlight, I saw something, a little face. So white it was like the face of a tiny ghost. I was yelling to him, hang on mate, I'm coming, I'm coming. I got closer. I could see that he was at a T-junction where my pipe came to an end and joined up with the pipe he was in. Jai was hanging onto a piece of timber that was wedged across the pipe. It was about 30 metres up from the junction where I'd entered and where Michael was now stationed. We were about three metres under the roadway. Jai, I screamed. Come to the light. Let go of the timber and come to the light. I was exhausted and my fear of his being washed away was getting stronger. I was still clawing forward but I was slowing. Jai seemed so close, but I had no energy to go on. I was becoming terrified at the thought of more rain, 
and that we were both going to drown. Finally, Jai let go of the timber and I saw him coming towards me. Oh my God, I was saying to myself, I've got him. He's going to be safe. Mick, I've got him! I screamed down the pipe. Jai washed into me and I folded him up in my arms. He was shaking uncontrollably and he started to sob. My emotions overtook me. I held on to him, crying with him. Somehow, I got Jai underneath me and pointed him towards Michael. I turned myself around in the narrow pipe and followed Jai back down it, pushing him along. Michael got hold of Jai, quickly assessed him, then took him back toward the manhole. The local TV crew's footage shows Jai being lifted from the manhole like a little drowned rat being pulled out of a hole. The ambulance crew put him on the gurney and wrapped him in the emergency blanket, just as his mum dropped down beside him and hugged him. As they wheeled him away, you could hear Jai say, I thought I was going to die. I bet you did, mate. And for a long time, so did I. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price.